could it be that you could be involved in church? Think that you're on the way to heaven. Think that everything is good. Think that you have Jesus and think that Jesus has you. But in reality, the Jesus that you have is not real. He's plastic. Go with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. And what I've called this morning the scariest words in the whole Bible. A lot of times we don't like to talk about things like this. But we're going through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, verse by verse, word by word. And we come to chapter 7 and verse 21, and we're going to read from there to verse 23 and listen to the gravity and the weight of Jesus' words here. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, and this day is what a lot of people know as judgment day. On that day, what's the number, folks? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty or many wonderful works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, the fact of the matter is, according to Jesus, there are many, many, many people who think that they're actually on the road to heaven when they're actually on the road to hell. In other words, according to Jesus, now get this, for those of you who like surprises, according to Jesus, there will be Many people who will have the greatest and the worst surprise imaginable. They will be entering into the presence of God. They'll be, their life is finished. And their whole life, they thought, I'm good. And they're standing before God. And they are so surprised to hear Jesus say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. Now think about the nature of surprises. Some people in here, you like surprises. Some people, if you try to surprise them, you need to do it at least at an arm's or a leg's distance because they will punch you in the face if you sneak up on them. Some people don't like surprises. But can you imagine having this kind of surprise? Think about it for a minute. Think about the possibility, especially for our Rocky Mount Baptist Church people. Man, you guys are faithful. You love Jesus. You're, you're plugged in here. You give to missions. You're reaching out to your friends. But according to Jesus, it is very possible to really, really believe that you are good. Everything is taken care of. Not you're good in a perfect person sense of the word, but that you will, man, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. To quote the old song. But Jesus says many will be on that day surprised. And if you have your outline, we're just going to walk through this verse by verse here. Number one, what Jesus is saying here, this truth, is that many will be surprised when they are not allowed to enter heaven. Now, last week we looked at video clips of some popular teachers and preachers who were not actually teaching God's word. And if you are not careful, you'll be deceived. 
That's what Jesus talks about there in verses 15 through 20 about false teachers who can deceive us. But here's where we have to be very careful is the possibility of us deceiving ourselves. Possibility of thinking that you're going to heaven when you're really not. Now notice here in verse number 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that's in the present active participle. I mean, it is a continual asking and asking. In other words, the point is that people, the churches are packed with people, according to Billy Graham, who don't actually know Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that just a little bit scary? Shouldn't that concern us just a little bit? The possibility of thinking that we're going to be fine when we're actually not. It's a case of mistake of a great, the greatest degree. I remember when I was a kid, I went into a grocery store with my parents. And, you know, sometimes as a kid, you get separated from mom and dad. And I went over and I thought it was, was dad. And I reached up and patted dad on the hip and said, hey, dad. And the man who turned around was not dad. I thought he was dad, but he really wasn't. Here is the opposite case to where it's just people thinking Jesus knows them. And Jesus is like, I don't know, I don't know who you are. Imagine that. Imagine just for a moment to place ourselves in that situation to where we go through life. We're involved in a church. We, we have, we have said, I, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. We have been baptized as Jesus commands to not be ashamed of Him. We maybe are involved in a, in choir or band or a, a Sunday school ministry or children's ministry. Like if people ask, what does the Bible say about such and such? You're like, I know, but I don't want to raise my hand because somebody else may know in this group Bible study and I don't want to be the one who talks all the time could be involved to know all about it but imagine put yourself in that situation in that life to i mean be serving as a deacon an elder a pastor on one of our ministry teams heading it up i mean serving doing jesus things and then on that final day your heart stops because you hear jesus not a preacher say Depart from me. I never knew you. And it's not a depart to a holding room. Jesus is saying, depart from me into eternal hell to where there is no hope of it ever abating, ever getting out. It's done. Your doom is sealed. Can we all agree that that would be the most terrifying, the most horrific, the most irreversible, the most heart-stopping thing that could ever happen to us? At least somebody who says, you know what, I don't care about Jesus Christ, I'm going to live my own way, I'm going to live my own life. They know. They know what's coming, but to be surprised... So here's what we're going to do this morning. If Jesus says, not only it's a possibility. Now check this out. Go with me. Jesus is not saying it's just possible for many people to show up on judgment day thinking that they're going to enter into heaven, thinking they're going to be saved from hell. But Jesus says it's an absolute gut level. Please hear this. Certainty. Not a possibility, but it is absolutely certain it will happen that many people will be expecting to enter heaven and Jesus says no. Then don't you think we would do well to do what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 and the Bible says examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
See, God's going to do some great things among Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Amongst us, we've got great ministry projects coming up. Um, Y'all heard of Operation Christmas Child? Anybody? Okay. That small ministry. The Lord has arranged it so we're going to be the regional drop-off center. Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Seven to nine thousand boxes, Christmas boxes. We don't know where we're going to put them, but Fred's going to find a way. Here, we're serving. Lord willing, we're planning on having the inmate meal again. We have the guys from the jail here, here in this building. Amen, church? And feed them Thanksgiving and, and give them Jesus and show them that yes, you've made a mistake, but we, we love you because that's what the gospel is about. Got great volunteers who do, who do student ministry here. We're reaching students, uh, people involved in children's church, all of those things. God has blessed us so in so many ways, but I fear that it's so easy, especially in a church that's growing. Are y'all tracking with me for those of y'all that have been in crazy dead churches? Come on. Where it seems like nothing ever happens except for down, 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 down. It's just all depressing. But here's the danger. When God is really moving in a church, people are coming, people are being saved, people are joining, people are saying, you know, we want to find a place we can plug in and serve Jesus. There can be the danger when there's a lot happening that we don't look within and say, God, I need to go back to square one and examine myself, not by experiences, not by what someone else says, but by what the Bible says. So number one here, we, we've, we've just got to all come together as a group, as a family, and say, we've got to acknowledge that Jesus said many will be surprised. Not only that, Jesus is saying that knowing, check this out, knowing truths about Jesus Christ and even speaking truths, teaching truths, uh, preaching truths about Jesus doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. Check this out. This is one of the craziest verses in the Bible. It says uh, in verse number 22, now check this out. I know we're Baptist church, but check it out anyway. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, which can mean forthtelling, like the future, or it can be foretelling, meaning this is what God wants us to do right now, which in most of the prophets' messages, it was repent. But here's where it gets crazy. And cast out what? Demons. And do many mighty, many wonderful works in your name. So here's the thing. Check this out. This is not just the person that misses church every other Sunday. Y'all all right? There's some people that say, I love Jesus. They get, they, they get to church like, you know, once every other week, once, once a month. We're not talking about the people who simply come to church but don't do anything. Y'all all right? Okay. We're talking about the people who are leading, man. Like, casting out demons. I've never cast out a demon. Many wonderful works, meaning works of amazement. Works that cause people to be like, wow, that was impressive. Jesus is saying, just because you know truths about me, even if you proclaim truths about me, it doesn't mean that you truly know me. A lot of people in our southern culture especially will say things uh, such as, you say, well, have you been saved? And they say, I believe in God. Let me give you a verse in the Bible. James chapter 2, verse 19. The Bible says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the, help me out church, even the demons believe and they tremble. So... If you're staking your eternal well-being on the fact that you believe in God, you get to join the demon club. According to the Bible. 
Because even though the demons and Satan knows about God, that, I mean, they, they know it. That in, and in fact, when Jesus was in uh, the, the desert, you remember that, the wilderness, and Satan tempted Jesus? We don't have any record of Satan carrying around his Bible or his scroll and trying to find, where is that, where is that verse in the Old Testament to where he could quote the verse to try to get Jesus to fall. Satan quoted it. He knew it. So here's the thing. If you can know, if you can truly know the Bible, if you can know about Christ and even proclaim that, and Jesus says it's not enough, it should cause us to really think. And notice what he says here when he says, depart from me, the end of verse number 23. Depart from me, you workers of, what's the word? Lawlessness, iniquity, self-will. The word here in the Greek language, language is antinomian, meaning anti-law. Simply what it is, it's a person knowing about the things of Jesus, but never truly submitting themselves to Christ. You have Methodist friends? Maybe we have some Methodists here. Let me give you some Methodist history. John Wesley, coming to the United States, now get this, from, from Great Britain, was on a ship. The ship was about to go down. I mean, people were there. They thought, this is it. We're going to die. That transatlantic voyage. And John Wesley was talking to a, a German pastor on the ship. And these German believers, these, these Moravians, were singing hymns while the ship Everybody thinks is about to go down. Now, can I get a witness this morning? If the ship is about to go down and Fred Tudor says, turn in your hymnals, probably a lot of y'all would say, uh, no, sir, let's bail with the hymnals, right? Like, you, you know, you, you wouldn't do that if the ship's about to go down. But here's what Wesley said. He said, I was terrified of death. And he noticed that these Bible, and he was with the Church of England at that time that was all about tradition and history and not about the Word of God. He noticed that these German Moravian, these German Bible-believing Christians coming to the New World to escape persecution had such peace that they could, on the bow of the ship, be singing hymns as they're about to die. And he talked to the pastor and the pastor said, is Jesus your Lord? And John Wesley said, I know that Jesus is Lord. And the German pastor said this and don't miss it. Yes, but is he your Lord? This is crazy. John Wesley, a British minister, came to Georgia to win Indians to Christianity, to share the gospel. And he says, I came to convert the heathen, but I myself was unconverted. You saying it's possible to be a missionary and not be saved? Absolutely. According to Jesus, it's very possible to do all sorts of Jesus ministries and not truly be born again. So not only is Jesus saying that there will be many people surprised, but Jesus is saying, you know what? Just to let you guys know, at the end of my full sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you know, if you memorize this whole thing, it doesn't mean you're in. And then Jesus is saying in verses 22 and 23 that many people confuse doing things for Christ with knowing Christ. You see, Christian activity is not the same thing as Christian experience. And we know this, right, at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, that church membership is not the same thing as salvation. So what should we do? 
Well, let's go through what the Bible says that we should examine ourselves. First, second Corinthians chapter 13, verse five, examine ourselves and see if we're really saved. Cause here's what we have this morning. We have some people who are really saved, probably. And then we have some people who really know that they're not saved. God bless you. And in fact, if you come in here and you're feeling guilty, you know that you need Jesus Christ, that is a far better place to be than to be thinking that you are genuinely saved when you're actually not. And the most dangerous position out of all of those is to think that what happened to you back when you traced, when did I get saved, if you're trusting in that and it's not real, you don't want to be in that crowd that Jesus says, depart from me. So here's the first question. Are we really saved? How do we know if we've truly been saved? When you're outlining Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will perish. If we go back to what Jesus is saying here in verses 15 and 16, he says, you will recognize them, verse 16 specifically, by their what? By their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In other words, according to Jesus, if you're truly saved, there's going to be that change. There's going to be that heart change, that repentance, that change of lifestyle. So the question for us is how do we validate our personal experiences? This happens so often in church, and the story goes like this. When I was a kid, I was raised in a gospel-preaching church, and I got saved when I was five, six, seven, eight. But then in my teenage years and in my college years, I didn't serve Jesus at all. In fact, I pretty much did the opposite of what Jesus said to do. But I came back to Jesus in my early 30s. I came back to Jesus in my late 20s. But I know that I was truly saved as a kid. Jesus says, unless you repent, you will perish. If there was no life change, when you say that you repented, then there was no repentance. If there was no true repentance, then there's no salvation, because if there is no repentance, we cannot be saved, right? So Jesus is saying you evaluate your so-called conversion, come to Jesus experience by, and please hear this, by what happens afterwards. Did you really change? Was there a heart change that resulted in a life change? You see, a lot of people think that you can come and you can believe the gospel. You can get saved, but there's no change. And listen, the reason why, if we can just be very honest this morning, the story of a lot of our lives, um, we, we had that period of, of life, you know, 10, 20, whatever years it was, and we never followed Christ. But boy, we are today because he brought us back. Often what we point to as our rededication that's a, that's a made up Baptist word. That's the point that the, y'all okay? It's tense in here, man. Whenever the change happens, biblically, that's when salvation happens. That a lot of people are still holding on to a childhood experience when there was never any fruit. None. And if it was, if you want to take notes, uh, Mark chapter 4, it was the parable of the soils. When the seed uh, fell down into the, the, the shallow soil and it sprung up quickly, but then it, 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 it just dissipated, it died quickly. There was no root. So Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 6 verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You know what? Jesus is so merciful that he is willing to shake, get this, religious people out of self-deception. 
And I would say this, if you come from a liberal church background to where they do not preach the Bible and they may read a verse of the Bible and then talk about uh, the wheel of fortune the rest of the time, it's very easy in a Bible-preaching church to have a false conversion experience and to think that you're really saved when you're really not. But even more so, if you come from a background to where they just sprinkle you as a baby and you think you're good to go. Jesus says there must be repentance. Not only that, in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 through 24, it outlines the fruit of the Spirit. The question is, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit evident in your life? Are you a person, are your relationships characterized by love? Are you a loving person or are you a taking person? Joy. Do you have joy or are you always tore up? Love, joy, peace. Do you truly have the peace that passes all understanding? Love, joy, peace, patience. What would your family say? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You see, here's the thing. When somebody gets saved, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them, lives within them, guides them. And if we say that we are saved, what we're saying is that the Spirit of God, this is crazy, like lives in us. That, that, that's outlandish in today's secular culture to claim that. So here's the thing. If that's true, if God is living within us, but our lives do not produce what God always produces when he shows up, then the question is, is God really living within us? Or do we have a plastic Jesus, as the video said? And here's where you see this for those of you. Let me, let me, if you're new to church, um, let me just talk to some of our people who have been in church for a while. If you have been in an established church for any amount of time, you will know there are such things as imitators. People who don't know Jesus, but they're involved in church. If you have lost people in the church, they will decimate the church through personal agenda. Have y'all seen evidence of this? Trying to call business meetings, trying to get one group to go against another group, gossiping in the community about the church, uh, refusing to forgive. There's even a liberal theologian that said forgiveness, Reinhold Niebuhr, forgiveness is the final form of love. Churches that become so legalistic and so hate-filled and so uh, they lack the love of the Lord. And to go back to verse number 15, Jesus says not only are false teachers wolves, but whoever has not been saved has the nature of a wolf. And the nature of a wolf is selfish. Often in church you run into people that are thoroughly selfish and they have the nature of a wolf and they will devour whoever, whatever is placed in front of them. But you see, when you get saved, you get filled up with love because you get filled up with God. The Bible says that God is love. But unsaved people in the church will put money over people. They will have personal preferences about, say, I will not support, I will not invite, I will not share the gospel because of something doesn't please my thing. Like, for example, um, oh, we dress down casual or we, we dress up or we have this type of music, you see. Personal, personal agendas. Is the fruit of the Holy Spirit evident in your life? A changed life doesn't mean a perfect life, but a changed life means that the general trajectory of our life is towards God. So has there genuinely been repentance? 
Do you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Are those things real in your life? If I ask the people that are closest to you, if you ask the people that are closest to me, are those things that characterize our life? And if they would have to say with their hand on a Bible, no, then the question is, have we truly been saved? So not only we have to see is the fruit of the Holy Spirit there, is there been the fruit of repentance, but also is there obedience to the commands of Christ? First John chapter two, verse four, the Bible says, whoever says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now notice back here in verse number 22, uh, 23 rather, where Jesus says lawlessness. He's not talking about He's not talking about being a wild moonshiner back in the movie Lawless, all right? That's not necessarily what he's talking about. He's not talking about being a gangster, doing drive-by shootings. He's not talking about ripping off banks and and people uh, just walking down the street. He's talking about a life that says no to the commands of Christ. That's it. Lawlessness says, God, I know what you're calling me to do, but my decision is no. It's this. Lawlessness is a simple but unwavering commitment to ourselves. There's actually a statistic that has to do with people's experience in church. Let me give it to you. From Barna's study. It says, based on past studies of those who avoid Christian churches. Now check this out. One of the driving forces behind such behavior is the Painful experiences endured within the local church context. In fact, one Barna study among unchurched adults shows that nearly four out of ten non-going, uh, non-church-going Americans say that they avoid churches because of negative past experiences in churches or with church people. And I'm just going to be straight up. The reason why so many people have been wounded by churches and church people is because many churches are filled with church people, but not saved people. Because when you get saved, if someone walks in here not dressed the way that you think most people dress at church, your first reaction may be shock, but you say, praise God, they're here. And a saved person says, what can we do with this budget and this building and these carpets? What can we do to reach the next generation? Because it's not about me. A lost person, everything in their life centers around personal preferences that don't mean a hill of beans. Notice that Jesus says in verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He's not saying that we get to heaven by perfect obedience. He's simply saying you have to obey the gospel. Amen? Like The, the, the first command of the gospel is that you repent and you believe the gospel. The step of repentance is saying, I can never save myself. I am not a good person. I need Christ. And I don't care if it seems embarrassing on Sunday morning. I'm going to hit my knees at the altar, back in the pew. I need Jesus and that's all that I know. And I know that Jesus loves me because the Bible, the old song, tells me so. You see, when you get changed, it's Rick Warren's line in The Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. But before we're saved, especially in church, you can know a lost church member when it's all about them. 
And many churches kill themselves because leadership is not saved. And often this masks itself as traditionalism. How many of us, we, we raise our hands and say, we know of churches that say, we will not change. This is our church. This is my church. Hey, listen, news. This is not Jeff, Robert, Jeff Robinson's church. Not one bit. It's not your church. God has allowed us to be here as long as we're alive to use the resources that he's entrusted us with to make disciples of all nations, you see. And true joy comes through that. But you know that in the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus, do you know who he really, I mean, do you know who he really saved the hellfire and brimstone for? It wasn't the quote-unquote sinners, the party crowd. It was for the religious people. And you know why Jesus did that? Because often religious people think that they're good because they're religious. They think they're set. They think they're on the highway to heaven. Jesus spoke those words because it takes more to shake religious people. People who don't know Jesus at all, they don't know anything about it. They're like, I have problems. I know I'm guilty. I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I've even known people that feel guilty driving by a church seeing a steeple. They, they just stay away from it because it, it brings thoughts of guilt and dread. But you take a person who's plugged into a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Baptist church, and they're there Sunday in and Sunday out, and they never examine themselves. Jesus said, there is a huge probability that you will end up on that day, and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And I say this, With all genuineness, I love y'all. I really do. And it would crush me on that day if some of us, we've worked together and served together, done ministry together, hung out together outside of this building. And I don't know how it all is going to work, if we're going to see each other and so forth, individual judgment. But, But when it's all said and done, the judgment's over. And we're enjoying Jesus, the new heaven and the new earth. And then say, well, have you seen so-and-so? No, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen him. But years down the road or however long, realize that some of our, what we believe to be brothers and sisters who sat in the same pews with us didn't make it. And it wasn't because God didn't want to save them. It was simply because they were holding on to an experience that was hollow. They were holding on to a time that they made a decision, quote unquote, but it wasn't real. They were holding on to their salvation story, but yet that never produced any fruit at all. And instead of examining themselves according to the words of Jesus, they held on to a false hope. And on that day to where everything that is in darkness will be brought out into light, they will be told, depart from me. I never knew you. But you see, the Bible tells us that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Remember the story about the guy who jumped out of the, uh, the plane? He's going to do some skydiving. This made the news not too long ago. Experienced skydiver. Was able to go by himself. Didn't need to do tandem. Forgot to put on his parachute. No joke. No joke. Forgot to put on his parachute. Jumped out of the plane. And can you imagine the horror that went through his mind after the jump when he reaches to pull the drop cord, the pull cord, and it simply wasn't there. 
that feeling will pale in comparison to what it must be like to be among the many who will be expecting to enter the presence of God and will be told, depart from me, I never knew you. There has to be a beginning of a relationship to know Christ. And the question from his word, and I know this has been a tough message. It's been a tense message, but it's a message from the Bible. And because Jesus loves us, we have to teach it. The question for all of us this morning is, have you truly been saved? Has there been fruit? Has there been repentance? Is it the fruit of the Holy Spirit that characterizes your life? If not, the offer of salvation today is open to you.